Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series, Christ and His Mission, A Study of Luke. Pastor David will be preaching from Luke 2, 22-40. The name of the sermon is called Christ, Our Consolation and Redemption. Let's join Pastor David now. Amen, amen. Well, meet me in Luke chapter 2 uh, today. We're picking up in verse 22 as we continue through this series, Christ and his mission, this uh, series through the Gospel of Luke. And some of you, maybe you've walked with Christ for many years, and you've perhaps read the Gospels many, 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 many times over. For some of you, the study of Scripture might be new. This might be your first time uh, going through uh, the Gospel of Luke from beginning to end. So as we meet there, Luke chapter 2, may we enter into this story as if we're hearing it for the very first time unfold before our eyes. So Luke chapter 2, let me read portions of it, uh, starting in verse 22. It says, uh, when the time came uh, for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, Mary Joseph, brought him, Jesus, uh, up to Jerusalem uh, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Exodus chapter 13, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jump ahead now. The family is going to Jerusalem. Now jump ahead, verse 39 and 40. They were returning from Jerusalem. It said, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned, Mary and Joseph and the child, Jesus, into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we get this glimpse, this family, this young family, this new family, Mary and Joseph and the child, and they're going to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple. And we get this snapshot at the beginning and the end, them going to and then them leaving from. And as they enter into Jerusalem, as they go to the temple, who do they encounter? Who do they meet? And what do we learn through these two encounters, through these two interactions with two people? What do we see about Jesus? What do we see about who he is, his character, his being? And what do we also see about the mission that he engages in? God's mission uh, through Christ. And we'll get glimpses of both of those. So first, first, uh, jump to verse 25, and we meet a man named Simeon. Look at what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, verses 29 to 32, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, when, when we encounter Simeon, we appreciate uh, that this is really all we know of Simeon, that the rest of Scripture is virtually silent on, on who he is. And so this is all we've got to work on, that he was, we know that he's righteous, that he's devout. Uh, we know that the, the Holy Spirit's upon him. We know this incredible little snapshot 
that it was revealed to Simeon by the Spirit that he would not see death until the Lord's Christ had come, that he would see him. I wonder what that encounter was like. I wonder what that message would be like that, again, remember at this point in the story, all of the Old Testament is anticipating and waiting for the coming Messiah. And Simeon receives this word somehow, some way by the Holy Spirit that says, you're going to see him. Before you die, you're going to see him. So this day, Simeon uh, goes to the temple. He goes to Jerusalem. And maybe it was, a, maybe it was an ordinary day, just like any other. Um, but it says in verse, uh, what is it, 27, that he came in the Spirit. This indicator that it was the Spirit who was prompting him, guiding him, directing him to uh, the temple that day. Maybe a quiet nudge of his heart. Maybe I should go to the temple today. Maybe a strong, strange conviction that that day I need, I need to go here. Have you ever experienced something like that where you just get a sense the Lord is calling me to do something or calling me to, uh, to go somewhere or, or calling me to say something or calling me to, to be patient? Often we know that through the rearview mirror. We see how the Lord works in our lives in that way. And, and, and maybe that day for Simeon, it was just an ordinary day that he rolls into the temple, he parks his Honda in the south parking lot. And, and enters in the lobby and picks up a coffee at the coffee shop on the way to a kid zone where Simeon's serving that day in, in the temple, uh, working with check-in and welcoming families. And then in the doors comes a new family, young family, and they have a, a, a young child, a boy, and it's Mary and Joseph. And, and it makes you, I wonder if Mary and Joseph had, you know, a new family all over their face, you know, still trying to sort things out, and, and, and Simeon sees them, and and he encounters Jesus. Now, appreciate this moment. Appreciate this moment. It says in verse 28 that Simeon took him up in his arms. Now, that phrase, took him up in his arms, it means at least that Simeon, he picked him up. He, he, he held Jesus. But that phrase, took him up in his arms, also communicates a sense of receiving of accepting that this is more than just a uh, instruct. Uh, it's more than just a detail that he picked Jesus up. It's an indicator of the depth of what was going on in his heart. That he is, as he is picking up and holding Jesus, he is in some ways receiving him. That he recognizes who he is and what's going on in this moment. And then Simeon says, "Look what he says, verse twenty-nine. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word." In essence, he's saying, listen, Lord, you could take me now and my life would be, would be full. It would be complete. Because why? Look at this, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Appreciate, soak in this moment. He's holding Jesus in his arms, looking into the eyes of Jesus, saying, my eyes have seen your salvation. Here he is. I'm holding him. Your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the, to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And as Simeon receives Jesus in his arms, we recognize and we see that, that as he is saying, Christ himself is our salvation. He himself. And, and God's saving heart throughout the entire Bible has always been for all peoples, for all nations, in his heart, even in the Old Testament, that God's relationship with his people Israel was one that God would have unique uh, blessing, unique covenant relationship with them, so that through Israel, he would be a blessing to the nations, to the world. 
Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 uh, says, it's too light a thing. Don't you love that? It's too light a thing. It's too small a thing. It's not enough. It's not grand enough. It's not big enough. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the, uh, the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, all peoples, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, every people group, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's heart has always been a saving, redeeming heart of all peoples, of all the nations, and now Simeon is holding that salvation in his arms. <laughs> imagine, imagine that you're Mary and Joseph, new parents, and you're seeing this unfold, and Simeon's holding your child, and you're hearing what Simeon is saying. My eyes have seen your salvation. Appreciate that. And we, and we get a glimpse of an incredible truth about who Jesus is from this statement in verse 30, that salvation is not something outside of Jesus as if he gives us that. Salvation is a gift of grace, absolutely, but that gift is not something outside of Jesus that he wraps up in packages and then gives to us. He himself is our salvation. It's him. The union with Christ, participation with Christ, connectedness to Christ. He himself is the reason that we are saved and redeemed and bought and chosen and loved and brought in and welcomed in and forgiven. And when we think about salvation in that way, salvation is not outside of Christ, it's, it's Him. Don't all the metaphors start to make sense? Uh, everything down to those, those two little words, you'll bump into it all the time as you read the New Testament, in Christ or with Christ. Those two little words, they almost feel like a filler, don't they? As you're reading through the New Testament, you know, such and such in Christ or with Christ, don't skim over that. That is deep, rich truth, that it's Christ himself. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's not just fluffy religious talk. That's true, that in Christ, in some ways, when we think about um, the crucifixion, God sees us crucified with Christ. We died with him on that cross, that we might have life in him. Think of the other metaphors. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The way is not some path that Jesus is going to point us to. Here, I'll, I'll direct you on the way, as if it's not a part of me. The truth is not something somewhere else that Jesus points us to. The life is not something else that Jesus directs us. It's all him. Think about the other metaphors. Think in a profound way, both communion and baptism. Jesus says some incredible things, almost disturbing. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's not talking literally, obviously, but in a spiritual sense. It is for, it's actually happening. That by, by God's Spirit, we are participating in Jesus Christ, connected to Him, buried with Him in baptism, risen to new life in Christ. We think of the other metaphors that Scripture shows us. Christ is the head of the body. We are parts of the body, elbows, knees, fingers, connected to Him, literally a part of Him. That in union with Christ, we have salvation. He's the vine. We are the branches. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. And this is what Simeon is talking about. Verse 30. 
union with Christ, for my eyes have seen your salvation. We often say, what is the gospel? That's, that's good, fair to say. It's right to say. Think of it in some ways, not what is the gospel, but who is the gospel? It's a person. It's Christ. It's him. And he's come. And, and all of history has been waiting. Verse 25 we meet Simeon. He was a righteous man, devout, waiting, 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 waiting for the consolation, the comfort, the respite, the relief, the rest, soul rest, not physical rest, uh, not, not just I need a nap kind of rest, deep rest of the soul. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort ye my people. A Messiah is coming, and all of history has been waiting for this consolation, and now Simeon is holding him in his arms. And when you place yourself in that moment, imagine again that you're Mary and Joseph. You're the parents of, of this child, Jesus. Um, imagine soaking all of that in. Or, or, or flip the script, flip it this way. Let's say uh, someone uh, for you today, parents uh, and grandparents, what if someone uh, came up to you and said, oh, you, your family's so beautiful, your child is so cute, can, can I hold them? And, and you let them hold them. Well, how would you feel? What would you think if someone's holding your child and all of a sudden they start to say stuff like this? <laughs> Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I, I could die now and after holding your child, my life would be well, well, well lived. <laughs> Or if they looked at the eyes of your child and said, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. If someone was saying that about your child, you've got uh, two responses. First one, which you'd probably go to, is uh, security. Can I, have my, can, can I have my child back? You know, the, you'd think this person's crazy. You'd think they've lost their mind. That's either the response that we would have or, or, <laughs> or it's true that Simeon really is holding in his arms the Messiah. He's holding in his arms salvation himself. That this is, as it was promised to Simeon, that he would see the Lord's Christ. And now it is happening. It's unfolding. And if you're Mary and Joseph in that moment, it's very fitting that they do what they do next. Verse 33, look at what it says. And his father and mother marveled. They marveled. They wondered. They, they, they worshipped. I wonder if there was a sense of Oh, just overwhelmed, uh, maybe in a sense perplexed, trying to wrap all this uh, around their minds around this whole thing. They marveled at what was said about Jesus from the words of Simeon. Verse 34, then it says, Then Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph, and then said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Uh, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And we see both from Simeon's words, again, the previous verses, this incredible statement about who Jesus is. I mean, he's, he is salvation himself. He's the Messiah. But now we get a little bit of glimpse of his mission, a tiny peek into what work that Jesus would be doing, a tiny glimpse of one of the effects that would come from the mission and ministry of Jesus, and it's, 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 it's sobering in a way, and at this point in the story, it's still kind of enigmatic. It's still kind of what, what does this exactly mean, that he would be appointed for the, the fall and rising of many in Israel, 
and that there would be a discerning aspect to his ministry. In the latter part of verse 35, thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. And we get an early glimpse through, through the mouth of Simeon, this, this idea and this reality that uh, when you encounter the gospel, when you encounter Christ, it often has two very different responses, or people often have two very different responses, that in some way you either soften your heart to him or you harden your heart to him, that as the same sun in the sky melts butter and hardens clay, same sun, but the effect is two completely different uh, things on butter and clay, so it is that when you encounter Christ, same Christ, same Lord, same message, same gospel, but it reveals our hearts. That in some way we have an opportunity, it's a fork in the road, it's a decision point, it's uh, that we can either soften our hearts before God or, or, or harden them, that we could turn toward Him or away from Him, that we can clench our fists or we can open our palms and open our hearts to Him. And I think this is what Simeon is, is getting at, that, uh, that as he is appointed to his ministry, there would be uh, the fall of some and the rising of others. Think, uh, think of another metaphor Scripture uses for Christ, that he is a stone that has been rejected, a stone that's been cast out, and a stone that would be both a stumbling block and a cornerstone. That in this unique way, if we think about Jesus uh, along this path, this stone that we have to encounter for the proud, the self-righteous, uh, the self-made, uh, for those who need no help from anyone, to those who uh, uh, are going to do it my way, are going to do it on their own. When they encounter Christ, he's something to trip and fall over, to stumble over. But for the humble, the meek, to those who know they have a need for grace, know that they have a need for a Savior, know that they need to be saved, when they come upon on the path of life, upon this stone, this rock, it's not something to trip over. It's something to stand and rise on, a cornerstone placed on the solid rock of Christ, and we stand on him. Same stone, two very different responses. And I think Simeon is giving a glimpse of this work in ministry that in this mission that Jesus would have. John chapter 3, right after the famous John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Go a couple verses later, and it talks about the judgment coming into the world is this, that light has entered the world. And for those uh, in evil, in darkness, they don't like the light. But for those walking and living in truth, they, they come to the light. That in some ways, light is piercing the darkness, and it causes some to, to, to hide and to run away. And it causes others to come before the Lord, to melt their hearts, to soften their hearts, to come near to Him. Now, the, the part that, of course, we can't control, the part, of course, that we can't always anticipate or see, is people in our lives and how they will respond. Our job is not to form and shape and decide hearts. Our job is just to hold out the light, to hold out truth, to hold out Christ, to hold out salvation to pray and ask the Lord, would you soften hearts? Would you draw people to yourself? And then leave that in his hands, in his mysterious work, in his plan throughout all of history, his saving heart for the nations, for the peoples. This is a glimpse into the ministry that Jesus would have. And it's an early glimpse of just how... Um, 
strange and unexpected and upside down, this kingdom. Many have heard that phrase before, that his kingdom truly is upside down. That if you want to be high in his kingdom, you've got to be humble and lowly. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be great, you've got to serve. If you want uh, uh, to... If you want life, you first have to die, right? If you want to gain your life, you first have to lose your life. And it's a small glimpse into Jesus' ministry himself, that his entire life would be a path marked by humility all the way to the point of death. That this, if you were making up a story of the ultimate superhero, God himself coming into this world, you wouldn't imagine that his greatest moment of victory over the forces of darkness are the lowest moment of his life. It's the moment of his demise. It's the moment of his death and undoing. That's his moment of victory. That's the moment where he wins, and God wins, and, 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 and all wrong is made right through his demise, through his death. That if he's going to be um, the way, the truth, and the life, he first must taste death for all. If he is going to be your resurrection and your hope, he must first pass through the grave and the tomb to be that for you and for me. It's all upside down, isn't it? And if this is the path that Jesus would follow, it's no surprise that in, in small ways, obviously we are not Jesus, we're not divine, but if that's the path that Jesus would follow and his followers follow after him, as we walk as disciples, our path starts to look similar. That it's through... <laughs> Humility through self-sacrifice, through dying to ourselves and serving others, through, through uh, faithfully holding out and offering through word and deed uh, the truth of the gospel, who is Jesus Christ, and leaving the results in God's hands and holding out hope and the hope that we have in Jesus. And, and hear and see what Simeon is declaring. See what God's word, the inspired scripture uh, through the Holy Spirit, through the writer Luke, is telling us, is showing us that Christ himself is our consolation and our salvation. That this consolation that all history was waiting for, this rest, this respite, this relief, this resolution to the dissonance of our world, the salvation, the hope, here he is. Simeon's holding him. And it's, it's in his arms that we see the salvation and hope of the world, the salvation and hope of the nations. That's what we see from this first person that we encounter, Simeon. And it's not long after another person enters the scene, and her name is Anna. Look at these next verses, 36 and following. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and night and day and night and day and night and day. In verse 38, and coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him uh, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, we all need an Anna in our life. <laughs> Um, Anna, as it says uh, that she was advanced in years, and the way these phrases are connected together, lived with her husband four, seven years from, she, then she was a virgin, then widow until she was 84. It's actually somewhat unclear, is she 84? Or uh, is that count to 84 until after she was widowed? So commentators think 
Anna might have been triple digits. And Anna is the kind of person you just want in your life. She would have been, um, she would have been the kind of person that when it's time to close up shop at the temple and security was going through and turning off all the lights and locking all the doors, it was always Anna that they had to help out. You know, and Anna, you know, we got to go. We're locking up. And then uh, from around the corner from her little prayer mat, you hear this voice that says, two more minutes, Anna. You said that 10 minutes ago. We, we got to go. And then she collects her things and, and she scoots her way over to the door. And, you know, if she's triple digits, you know, her, her back's not as straight as it once was. Her strengths of her hands aren't there as they once were. Maybe her sight wasn't as strong as it once was. But this girl was always at the temple praying and fasting night and day and night and day, and night, and day, and she would have been the kind of person that on the, out, on the outside, uh, you would think, um, kind of weak, frail, but man, when she spoke, she would have been the kind of person that you realize solid as a rock, because she walks with God, the kind of person that perhaps um, may be quiet, and they don't say much, but when they speak, you know that they have spent serious time with the Lord. The kind of person that, you know, when I bring my prayers to the Lord God, you know, I've got all these needs, these dreams, I need help in these, uh, in these areas. Will you, will, you, will you provide? Will you guide? Will you lead me? And then after a while, you know, Anna, can you just, can you pray for me? You know, people that you just know are close and near to God. Anna would have been that kind of person, walking with God. And though humble and unexpected, and again, like Simeon, we don't know much about Anna other than what it says here, yet solid and firm, uh, mighty and powerful, not because of who she is, but because of the God that she is connected to. And she recognizes right away what's happening. She recognizes the moment as it's unfolding. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Once again, waiting. Simeon, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anna, speaking to those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Jesus comes, she gets it. She sees, she recognizes, she knows he's here. He's here. And he's come, and she shares with everyone, uh, praising and, and, and sharing and giving thanks to God, redemption is here. We see from her words that Jesus, Jesus is your redemption. He himself, not a redemption he gives, but a redemption he is, that he offers, and he offers himself to us, redemption Look at these two characters, both Simeon and Anna, and recognize and see what they are saying, what they are showing, what Scripture is, is offering to us, that the consolation and redemption that your and my soul longs for is not found in something, but it's found in someone. That, that the deep respite and peace and rest and relief that our, our soul needs, consolation and salvation and redemption. My friends, this is not something that we're looking for. It's someone. It's a person. And it's not just any person. It's Jesus. 
And we need this encouragement. We need this hope because every single one of us, whether you're using religious terms or not, no matter where you are on your, on your spiritual journey, whether you've been walking with Christ for most of your life or whether you're still checking Christianity out or quite frankly, you're kind of skeptical and frustrated with Christianity. No matter where you are, all of us, every single one of us are looking to something or someone to bring consolation to our souls. What are you waiting for? What are you looking for? Who are you waiting for? Who are you looking for? To provide that uh, if I could say, it, 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 using this metaphor, to provide resolution to the dissonance of your heart and dissonance of your life. For this part of the message, I'm going to need an ass assistance. I'm going to have Lydia Kellogg come help us out on the piano. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> this is not a, a musical version of, of the message. Uh, but Lydia, as, we're as I just mentioned that metaphor, dissonance and resolution, uh, Give us first uh, nail-on-chalkboard, cringy, gut-wrenching, chin-tweaking kind of dissonant chords. Give us a good sense of that. <laughs> That's dissonance. Now, Lydia, give us sweet, melodic, tension-relieving resolution to those chords. And now one more, one big chord of distance, then resolve it right away. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Shall we give Lydia a hand? <laughs> and as you're listening to that, uh, notice even it now, and, and now appreciate, I'm not talking about music theory anymore. Dissonance. Um, some of you, when you heard that, can relate to that in and through seasons of your life. A dissonance that... that it's, it's expected to resolve. You need it to resolve. It's, when you hear dissonant chords or dissonant music, the ear says you're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to end there. There's a resolution that needs to come, a relief to the pressure or the dissonance of life. Now, uh, what are you looking for to resolve that dissonance in your heart? Uh, for some of you, when you heard those dissonant chords, you thought that was middle school. And you thought, you know, man, I remember thinking back to my days in middle school, and I was, I was just looking to the next life. Say, once, once I get into high school, all the dissonance and awkwardness of middle school will just resolve, will just fade away into blissful melodic chords of heavenly wonderfulness. And then you got to high school, right? <laughs> and there was a different kind of dissonance that entered into your life. And you thought, man, once, once I just get out of my parents' home, out from under their roof, out, out to the sweet rolling uh, green meadows of blissful freedom of adulthood. Then all the dissonance of this season will, will disappear. It'll resolve. Everything will be wonderful and fine, right? And you see, we're just looking to the next life stage, and that can go on and on and on, right? So now you're in, in college, and you're saying, man, once, once I just get out from under these loans, once I just find my dream job, my dream job, my first, you know, big kid job, then all of, my, all of my stresses will be gone. All of my pains will be gone. Sweet resolution. 
uh, and then on and on we go. Maybe at that point, there's, there's four or five different paths. Perhaps for some of you, uh, you were thinking, man, once I just meet Mr. Wright, rugged chin, you know, just beautiful hair. The kind of, you know, you're walking through the mall and you go by the cologne section. That's him. That's who I need, you know. Or, or you're in the shampoo section uh, and, and maybe you're waiting for Mrs. Wright. You're in the shampoo section. That's her. This, this is who I need. And, and, and once finally I meet Mr. Wright or meet Mrs. Wright and I get married, then all my pains will be gone. All the distance in my life will find resolution. And we could just keep going through life. And then, and then you get to a stage and perhaps... Uh, for some of you, perhaps you, this thought jumped into your mind that you have a family, you're married, and you think, man, I, I need kids. My life is not complete until I have kids. And then when I have kids, all the dissonance will be gone. <laughs> and then you carry on. And, and then do you realize, you start to go back to, remember that high school dissonance? Oh, once these kids just get out of my house... <laughs> Then all that dissonance. And do you see, we could just keep going and going and going and going until I'm retired. Once I'm done working, then it will. My point is, if we are looking to a life stage, if we're looking to just different circumstances, a life stage ahead of us, or perhaps even a nostalgic sense of a life stage behind us, if we are looking to that, to a life stage, to provide resolution for our souls, we can literally look for every single stage of our life until we come to the very end. And we can spend our whole life. And notice, whether, you, whether you're using religious terms or not, do you know what you're doing? You're looking for a savior. You're looking for consolation. You're looking for rest of the soul. You're looking for a sense of completeness and wholeness. You're looking for something that's going to let you know that everything is going to be okay and you're complete and you're there and you've arrived. If you're looking to life stage to do it, you're just going to kick the can your whole life down to the next stage or to the next stage or to the next stage or long for a stage behind you and you will have missed it. You'll have missed it. What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What are you looking to to be that consolation, to be that resolution to dissonance? Maybe some of you are looking uh, to achievement, maybe achievement, athletic achievement, maybe academic achievement, maybe achievement in your career, maybe achievement uh, of a family or achievement through your family, that in some way you're, you're looking to your children, the achievement that they do is a reflection somewhat on, on your being and, and value and, and dignity and meaning. We can look to achievement, but do you see what we're doing? We're trying to answer soul-deep questions. Do I matter? Am I significant? Am I contributing anything? Am I worth being here? Am I, am I valued? Can I do anything? Do I have meaning? Do I have purpose? These are all soul-deep kinds of questions that only can be satisfied, not in something but someone. We can look to achievement to try to bring resolution to the dissonance of our life. Here's another one. How about appro approval? Approval. Maybe the approval of peers or friends. Maybe the approval of someone you greatly respect, maybe in your field or someone you respect in your life, and you quietly think in your mind, man, if they were just to pull me aside and look me in the eyes and say, I'm so proud of you. What you're doing, what you're contributing, and who you are is just thank you. And you're kind of longing for that. Some of you might be looking for the approval maybe of a parent or parents. Maybe you're longing for 
We're waiting for to hear from either uh, your mom or your dad, I'm, I'm proud of you, I love you. Maybe some of you never heard that. Maybe some of you are still reflecting on a childhood that was decades ago now and, and still wrestling through uh, the absence of that approval. And what can seem on the very surface level an ordinary thing, approval, do you see very quickly, it's a need of our soul. And if we look to that to ultimately be the, the, the resolution to the dissonance of our heart, either we'll always be looking for it and we'll never find it, or we'll receive it, but it won't be enough because we're still looking for something instead of someone. My friends, if Jesus himself is our salvation, if Jesus himself is our consolation and restoration and, and, um, and the one who satisfies all these things, you need not look any further. You need not look any longer. He's here. Simeon's holding him. He's held out to you. That if Jesus is your life, if he is your life, do you know what that means? You can have contentment in whatever life stage that you find yourself in. No matter how, that on any given week, no matter how turbulent and wild and crazy or how peaceful and lovely it may be, if Jesus is your life, then you don't need to wait for the next, uh, the next stage in life to start living. You don't need to nostalgically miss a previous life stage that you long to return to. If he is your life, then you are free to, to be content in whatever stage that you find yourself in. If Christ is your righteousness, then you need not look any longer to achievement to be your righteousness. And do you see, uh, and I'm not talking about, Pastor, are you saying we just, I, ambition is bad and I need to stop working? That's not what I'm saying. But if your ambition, if your work is starting to define who you are, that you're starting to medicate your soul by saying, I, don't worry, I mean something, I have value, I have dignity, just look at all that I'm accomplishing. That's a spiritual journey that you're on. That's a spiritual wrestling that you have. Do you see that Christ's righteousness is offered to you as a gift of grace? That he has done all the work, that he's lived the life that we could have never lived, that he's accomplished everything that we could never accomplish, and he attributes that righteousness to us. When we receive that, that is consolation, that's relief, that's rest, resolution. If Christ himself is the one that we hear, the pleasure of the Heavenly Father, that means we need not look to other voices for that approval if you already have it in Christ. In the book of Matthew, the baptism of Jesus, God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The book of, uh, in Peter, it talks about those who are in Christ, those who put their faith and hope and trust in Christ. We hear that voice as if God the Father is speaking to us. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And if you have the approval of the heavenly Father, the delight of the heavenly Father as a gift of grace, that means any, any approval uh, from our earthly relationships, that's nice, isn't it? That's healthy. It's good, isn't it? Uh, uh, but we don't rise and fall on its presence or absence. That if there's a sense of disapproval that you receive from family, coworkers, friends, is that hard? Absolutely it's hard. But if you already have the approval of God the Father, it no longer crushes you, no longer destroys you. You're buoyant and held up by the grace that God has given. My friends, he himself, Jesus, offers all of these things. Do you know that this is held out to you? That he is our consolation and our salvation. He himself. That what we've been longing for, 
is all found in him. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would comfort, as you say in Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort ye my people. And Lord, I pray that, that you would take these truths and press them deep into our souls, deep into our hearts. Lord, that there, I know are many here today, Lord, are just tired, just tired. Whether from all the things tugging at them from every corner of life or a long stretch of a difficult season or the, the weights and pressures of, of all that's going on in our world, the bombardment of, of news through social media, Lord, all that's pressing on us, Lord, we know we need consolation and salvation. Would you show us that we have it in you? And may you minister to us that you might bring all glory to yourself, that the way in which you move in our lives would be a light to the nations, a light to our family, a light to our friends, that salvation has come and it's you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.